lot of uh, Irish I've talked to, they're like, oh, we don't like the stereotype of being drunks. What do you think? Well, I'm telling you one thing. Go to Ireland. You'll go to a weekend away. You see a lot of drunk Irishmen. This world has become so corrupt. As I'm sitting there with a severed head in my hand, talking to it, or looking at it, and I'm about to go crazy, literally. I'm about to go completely flywheel loose and just fall apart. Let's, let's, not, get, let's not get into blood and guts, because, because that's what you're trying to get into. Come on, fumble Bam, motherfucker! It'll be a miracle if this tape ever is permitted to become knowledge that could spread across the world to even give individuals a chance to know what we have to say. Oh, I suppose you're going to want to sit up all night and talk now. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Bumblebutt Podcast, the old podcast on the internet that uploads weekly. Who knows what it'll be about? Certainly not me. My name is Adam, sitting across from me and to my left, and the other person's right <laughs> is Jordan. Hey, Jordan, I need you to tell me how your week went. My week went just fine. Normal week. Nothing did, extraordinary, nothing terrible. Did you move more rocks? <laughs> yes. Did you place them in artistic ways? <laughs> yes. Did you fill the cracks with a uh, bonding solution? No. What is that called? Grout. Grout, okay. All right. Because we were doing tight stack and then we were doing block. So there's no reason to bust out a grout bag on either of those. So do you just layer the wet stuff in between? Yep. I see. I mean, we, you, you gotta strike the joints on block to make give it that nice little curved texture that you notice. Make it appealing <laughs> to the eye. So you gotta, like, bash it down a little bit or something? Uh, no, so... Before the mortar is completely set, uh -huh. but after it's fresh, it kind of comes off like sand. You take a jointer, uh -huh. and then you run that along there, and it gives it that nice, gotcha. is it concave? Uh, I don't know. Look. One of them is when a baby's chest is fucked up. That's all I know. <laughs> yeah. But no, and then that's yeah, how they, you know the word concave, huh? Concave and convex. Okay. Uh, right. From I knew TLC's ER shows. <laughs> anyway, back to striking joints before we get to what you knew. Oh, this is—is is this a stonemasons yes, podcast yes. now? All of a sudden, all this right. Yeah, I know that's about it on striking joints. But uh, so, that's fantastic. So if anybody's looking for a career in rock. Stuff. <laughs> Call of Jordan. It's right Jordan's now. week. This okay. is Jordan's All week. Right. I'm All interviewing right. Jordan. You, Adderall oh. Jones over here, fired <laughs> yeah. out of a fucking can. Yeah, pipe the fuck down, shithead. Sitting next to Jordan, the lovely stone basin, is a fucking shithead. Cody. Mm, that's how me. does your how was your interrupting ass week? <sighs> uh Probably more boring. Oh, yeah, that's nice. More boring than yours, feel, yeah. Yeah. It was definitely more boring than yeah. yours. <laughs> it was boring, Cody? Yeah. Well. We were just, someone just told us we got to be nicer to each other, and we do the exact opposite. <laughs> yep. but, uh, I really don't know how to talk. We're contrarians. I don't know how to talk to you guys like normal people would talk. Like, Yeah, no, we have literally never done that in the time no, we've known no, each other. No. <laughs> no, no, no. Like, I couldn't imagine us sitting around with a glass of Chardonnay talking about our like husbands being nice. or something. I, you know, it's, I couldn't imagine. It's just boring. Yeah, that sounds fucking terrible. Oof. Um, yeah, 
My week was boring. Uh, I hate the snow. I hate Ugh. that it's fucking like 15 degrees out. I hate that. It's fucking early November. Give me some time. Let me adjust to the cold before you start shitting all over me. First Give us like the week before Thanksgiving. The first, uh, that first time when it's like really cold and it's blowing on your face and you get like the, not like burns, but you, you know what Ugh. I'm saying. I hate oh, yeah, that. Man. I had that last night. Like tiny so cold God. knives being yeah. stabbed into your cheek flesh. <sighs> Fuck, I hated that shit so much. Me too. Jordan. Adam. There's uh, something in front of you right now. Yes. <laughs> it's a Black Ops 4 can of Monster Energy drink. Uh-oh. Yes, it is. And there's something I need to tell you. Uh, are we about to go into another episode of Adam's Gang Corner? Nope. I'm going to have a <laughs> he, sip. He doesn't. Okay. He doesn't play that shit, dude. Come on. You're supposed to spit it back in there, then take another drink. Back to Adam's Game Corner. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, it's Adam, time for Adam's Game Corner. We can't go into Adam's Game Corner quite yet. This it, isn't even between the bubbles. Yeah, I was wondering what you're doing. You're yeah. right. You're right. So this is the main show. This yeah. is the I mean, my main program. reasoning was, how was your week, Adam? Mm. Oh! We always f- forget that question. What a nice boy. <laughs> Boy, I was going. I thought we were on the wrong show, but it was just because Jordan wanted to know how my week was. Yeah, because I'm a caring individual. Because you, you have, you're probably the most interesting Shut the of fuck all up, of us. Cody. <laughs> Shit, yeah, Cody. You know what? I've had enough of you. All so right, let's let's, let's put right. a zipper on you for now. <laughs> all right, no, I'm just kidding. Uh, let's see, Adam's week. What did I do? I worked. Mm. I worked, as you know, Cody. Mm-hmm. We put up a little Instagram from the old building. <laughs> We've moved. Yeah, we're no that no longer there. Thank God. Uh, other than that, worked the the other job, and then just really, boys, went over to Chase and Vanceford's place last night. We'll talk about this more in between the bumbles, okay. but the Tetris effect, ladies and gentlemen. Oh, God, it's the back. newest entry in the Tetris saga. We'll talk more about it <laughs> on Wednesday. I don't, think it, hear, ever, I don't think it ever died. You'll hear my full review. No, I play Puyo Puyo Tetris still oh, all the okay. time. All, all the right. time. But, but Tetris Effect, PS4, and console exclusive. I hope it comes to PC soon. Okay. So I can buy it again. So you're like a digital stonemason then, kind of. Yeah, I strike Tetris. You, you got to set everything just right in Tetris, just like Jordan does in real life. So. <laughs> Jordan, can you give me a real job being a real mason Here's instead what of you a do. digital one? He'll you know work, what? He'll Once work. we get some uh, more setters and we need another laborer. I might be able to get you in. Okay, you're going to throw rocks from the roof, and then you're going to stand on the ground and try to align them in place as they're coming down. It'll oh. be like a real-life Tetris. Perfect. I can see your... that going horribly wrong on the very first <laughs> no, one. No, no, no. You're like, oh, look at that. My nose needs to get reconstructed. <laughs> no, it's fine. <laughs> We're going to stack bricks from height. That's the we'll new keep, shit. We'll keep each rock 35 pounds or less. That'll be... Perfect. You can see? catch that from there. <laughs> yeah. From what, like fine. 15 feet? You'll be fine. Yeah, it'll be fine. <laughs> fine. And then I mean, that be shit's like kind of sharp. Wall. It's got some edges on it. Aren't you a flat earther? No. Yes, Fuck. he is. He you were is. supposed to say yes, but that then you would think gravity's not real, and I could throw however much weight I wanted from however high up so, I wanted. So, Jordan, what what do you think's underneath the Earth? You mean like underneath the flat, ground? Like, we is it stand the, on? Is Jordan's it, not a flat Earth. Is it Cody? the pillars? <laughs> is it the pillars of heaven holding Earth up, <laughs> or is it the ice ring? It's Buddha's What's thumb. What's the other one? A oh, Buddha's thumb. Mm-hmm. Okay. <laughs> He's... Giving us a big thumbs up, holding us all on top. Did I ever tell you guys about the time I ran into a flat earther at a tap room? No. Oh, my God. I thought they were fake. I don't know. No. 
They're okay. very real. <laughs> All right. So this was probably a year and a half ago. I was going to band practice back when we practiced at our then drummer's house. Uh, Marley John's brewery was like on the way. So I was early. I was like, I'm going to stop in and have myself a fucking beer because that's how I roll. Yeah. Hey. Gotta quench that thirst. Sit down, and dude comes in, sits next to me. He's like, hey, how's it going? I'm like, oh, good. And, you know, just small talk like you should at a bar. And all of a sudden, this dude, he's like, you want to hear something? I was like, sure, why not? What's this guy got to say? Yeah. And he's like, everything you're told is a lie. At that, in hindsight, I should have just been like, okay, we're fucking done here. Yeah. But I was intrigued. I was like, go on. And then he went on about his rambling about how the earth is flat. And he's like, yeah, I'm writing a series of books on it and all the other stuff. A series? Let's start with one and see if we need a series. Well, see, here's the thing. He's like, you know, I've got got people that are going to publish it. It's going to be on Amazon. People are saying it's going to be a number one seller. And I'm just, oh, dude, once he started going off, I was like, Okay, it took me about 15 minutes before I was like, I need to slam this beer and get the fuck out. Yep, it's time to go. Business I, here like, is I the bathroom. It's Blake won't even be home, so <laughs> I'm going to slam this and then go to Smashburger and get food, even though I'm not hungry to kill time. Mm-hmm. You should have said, sir, can you go find the edge of the earth and jump off and leave us all alone yeah. now, please? Yeah. If you do that, then everybody will believe oh. your, the- you know, your theory that it's real. I... Conspiracy theories, like, they're fun, but it's just, like, that one's just... Like, some of them are just asinine. Yeah, that oh, one. Yeah. Like, yeah, flat Anti-vaxxers. Sure. Oh, my God, Ooh. don't even get me fucking started on um, anti-vaxxers. Vegans. Old <laughs> <laughs> well, Coffee Buzz is going to be coming after us. And Actually, hip. I listened to him this week, and he was attacking Monsanto... Yes. It's beautiful. Yes. Beautiful. Yep. Good job, man. That was Fuck a hell that of a, company. Yeah. Fuck Monsanto. <laughs> oh, God. What a nightmare. Fuck them. Pieces of shit. Fight the good fight, brother. Jordan, what's your favorite conspiracy theory before we move on here? I know uh, you're in that realm. Probably that Elvis Presley is not dead, but he's actually the groundskeeper at Graceland. Oh. I love that one. Okay. So I'm assuming the groundskeeper's still alive. Why yes. would someone just ask him or, like, get a picture well, no, of him? Well, no, because, like, they never see him in public, but there's, like, security footage camera of him doing, like, his duties. Like, and people like have dying taken, of like, constipation on the toilet? <laughs> no, people have, like, taken pictures of Elvis, like, right before he died and done one of those, like, aging things. And they're like, this is what he should look like, and it's what the groundskeeper looks uh-huh. like. Mm-hmm. Did he do the... I also don't believe that Tupac is dead. Has uh, has mm. the groundskeeper ever been spotted trimming the bushes doing the Forrest Gump dance? I cannot where? tell you. What is that thing? <laughs> I don't the polio, know. The polio dance? Didn't I mean, that one's Forrest a bit Gump? of a stretch, but my favorite conspiracy theory that's actually real is that 9-11 was an inside job. Yeah, that's a good one. Mm, yeah. It's, a, it's I don't... I always feel like that one's kind of too soon. Kind Hashtag of. too well, soon. Titanic was an inside job. It could be. I think it was. Is the that new, too soon? The, move, the, the new meme that's going around is the... The burning of Rome was an inside job. There you too go. Soon? Wow. Too soon? No, because they're rebuilding the Titanic, you know? Yeah. And that 
they're like, oh, it's going to be charting the same course. And everyone's like, oh, it's going to drive right into an iceberg again. Yeah, that's my okay. only hope is that it hits an iceberg and sinks. I hope you're on it. And Leo's on it. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I hope I'm on it too, Cody. Yeah. You can find your... Because you know what? I'm going to die balling out on fucking Titanic 2 while you're sitting here <laughs> in West St. Paul, Minnesota. Yeah, that's what we're doing right now. All right. All right. Yeah. We're, we're basically in off. steerage right now. And Jordan's going to be first class on Titanic 2. Well, technically, if the Earth is flat, it kind of would be like a giant ship, right? Oh, yeah. shit. Wait a minute. See? Cody, you just opened my mind to The something. iceberg's the true enemy that's underneath the Earth. That's right. No, no, no. Cody, you just opened my eyes to something. What? The Titanic got too close to the <sighs> ice wall. It fell off. The oh, Earth shit. is really flat. Damn. It, it hit the think. ice wall. It hit the ice wall and sunk because... People can't be knowing that. My favorite flat earther was Shaq. And he said, man, I drove cross country. I didn't see no curving. Wow. I'm an idiot. <laughs> All right. It doesn't work like that, no. Shaq. Just stick to missing layoffs or You're whatever You're a beautiful you man. Hey, man. <laughs> I saw a post on Facebook like last week or so. Somebody did like a super zoom on a basketball and it looked flat. Basketballs are flat, dude. <laughs> yeah. Huh? Makes flat sense. Cube, yeah. cube skitball. So what if a basketball no, plate is flat? Skitball. Plate if, skit if a basketball is flat, what does that make a frisbee, Jordan? Round. <laughs> Fuck. <laughs> and with all that out of the way, let's get into the meat of the episode. Let's Ladies and gentlemen, we are going back to Minnesota one final time before we move on to a murder in Geordie Land. Geordie Land? Oh, yeah. Okay, never mind. <laughs> Is that true? Murder in my I kept, basement? I, I think it's because Georgia was playing football today and I had that in my head, so. Gotcha. Go Bulldogs. Go Bulldogs, BB. Yeah, so. No, we're Roll Tide boys in here. Uh, no, tide. fuck you. I I am straight. <laughs> go Tigers. LSU. LSU. All right. Good for you, son. Go Tigers. So today, we are in the Gopher State, and we're going to talk about... No gophers at all, ladies no, and gentlemen. No, they're just getting smoked probably right now. So. I think so. <laughs> oh, just like my beloved Badgers did mm. earlier. What did they lose by? I don't know. I just know they lost. Did they get beat by Everything Mormons I again? watched, they were just getting fucking trampled by Penn State. Ah, uh, my nittany lie. I almost thought you were going to say something else Yes, I, it, it sounded was, it, like I was ramping up. real slow on. with that there. My nittany lions. <laughs> also, I just want to say real quick, the announcers for the Wisconsin game on TV were so bad. Really? Dude, but, they called Penn State the Mountain Lions. Awesome. That's rad. I hope the Vikings hire them. That's fucking awesome. I mean, <laughs> shit, it would be an improvement over Paul Allen. We don't get to listen to him though. I'm like they always. If put, you listen on the radio, you do. Yeah. Latavius Murray ran for you two need, yards. You need to during the. I'm gonna come in my pants. The, Fuck you, during Paul the Allen. middle of the baseball season, tune in at like an AM radio station with like the shittiest baseball game playing. You will have nightmares of how bad those fucking it's gold. announcers. Oh, it's yeah. gold. It's great. Oh, anyway, Andem, let's hear this. All right, boys. Once again, this. Tale comes from Murder in Minnesota by Walter Trenery. Our boy. One comment. My sister, when I took her to the airport, she said she loves Jordan's horn 
And I told her I fucking hate it, and I wish I could get rid of it. So you got a, you got a fan. You got a fan. Anyway, continue. Look what you've done, Shayna. You know, she's turning Shana, on me. She's turning on me. <laughs> she truly is going to eat your dead corpse up here. <laughs> All right, gentlemen. This one is called Murder by Professionals. Mm-hmm. I titled it, so don't uh, don't hate on Walter on this one. This one's all my fault. When I first started this story a long time ago, it started off with a saying. It said, apparently May and December marriages have historically never ended well. Okay? Mm-hmm. And then the next line was, on August 4th, 1914, Frank Dunn and Alice Dunn were married. Now, I sat there for half an hour maybe trying to figure out it's a May and December wedding, but they were married in August. What the fuck? <laughs> Why is, is that happening? in there? Yeah. Why is this? <laughs> so I looked up May and December wedding. Turns out it's an or a May and December marriage. And it turns out it's an old phrase where one of the spouses is at least eleven years older than the other one. So that's a May as in a spring chicken. Oh, and then December you're in your winter. Gotcha. Right? Okay. That's uh, dumb as fuck. Yeah, it's real dumb and well, antiquated. It is 19, whatever, 11 or 14. 14, or yeah. yeah times were different. So, on August 4th, 1914, Frank J. Dunn, a widower at only 40, married the 24-year-old Alice M. McQuillan at St. Luke's Church in St. Paul. Frank was a longtime, connected, prosperous teamster and horse trader. Years ago, he had landed and still held a government contract that allowed for him to have the exclusive job of carrying the mail from the trains to the post office. Wow. Damn. Seems like a fun job. Does good for himself back in 1914. He probably made like three bucks a day. (laughs) Typical union teamster prick, Mm -hmm. huh? Getting those cushy government gigs. Do you think they were... So was he on the train? He would ride his horse to the train ah, okay. to get the mail right. to bring to the post office. Gotcha. I wish they still delivered. So he worked for like an hour a day? That's what it seems like. Not bad. I'd do it. That's shit. an easy way maybe to make it's a, a good living. Maybe it's a risky job. Pay me 50 grand a year. I'll do that shit now in my car. Right now. Like <laughs> yeah. right now. Yeah. Yes. Would you ride a horse and deliver mail all day for 50 grand for a year? For one hour a day. That's what I'm trying this to do. This dude is literally just picking it up off the train and bringing it to the post office. And I'm not sure he's if not that's true or not. house to house. <laughs> I'm not sure if that's Are all he sure does. Are we sure it's but... only an hour away? We have no idea. Oh, we have no we're idea. just guessing. Okay. Yes, we're right. being hyperbolic. Well, judging off where this... <laughs> Like main post offices in downtown St. Paul and where the railroad tracks are, on a horse, it might have been fucking 20 minutes. Sure. Hey. Round trip with loading time. Then you got to feed the horse. And, um... Yeah. And maybe multiple mail trains come in a day. Who knows? Could, what yes. do I know? Okay. We're just speculating. Alice McQuillan, on the other hand, was the daughter of James F. McQuillan, who was a St. Paul-based plumbing contractor. At the time of the writing of the book, it says the firm still exists today, and that was in 1967. Wow. So I looked up McQuillan Contracting Businesses, and it turns out there is a McQuillan Brothers Contracting that still operates and has over 285 five-star Google reviews. Yeah, I have definitely seen their trucks out and about. Perfect. So this, she is an old, older, uh, well, she's not... You'll see. Yeah, I've seen. Yeah, I've seen their vans around. Well, there you go. This is about her. Nice. Isn't there a McQuillan's grocery store? No idea. Mm, 
I'm gonna I'm gonna just give a hard no on that. Okay, all right. I'm gonna say it sounds like some dirty Irish anyway. You know <laughs> what I'm saying? I was just reading about dirty Irish racism today. Were you really? Yeah. Good stuff? Oh, yeah. <laughs> Always good stuff. Help it's, go uh, good. Irish need not apply. <laughs> we'll just say it's next week we're going to learn about it. So. Do they call them potato N-words? No. They, they, they believe that they are the direct descendants of Cro-Magnons. Wow. And that... It's a oh, quote so from a the man. Direct descendant of an amazing hardcore it's a quote, band. It's a, oh yeah! <laughs> it's a quote from a man who says that when he was in Ireland, it was nothing but white chimpanzees wandering around. Woo. So yeah, Cody, yeah. I can't believe you would say that about Irish people. This yeah, is like eighteen hundreds fucking yeah. asshole British man. Or what yeah, else are you it, gonna say? It should have been left in the eighteen hundreds, and you shouldn't be trying to bring it back. Are you gonna say they shove potatoes down each other's they might. butts for sexual pleasure? They died of a potato famine when they're covered and they're surrounded in water. Oh. This just in. Cody hates the Irish. Cody's an Irish. Irish racist. I'm not Irish. Yeah, that's why you hate yeah, them, you fucking that's racist. That's true. I must be a Brit. I think you're a Brit. <laughs> fucking wanker. <laughs> Adam, continue. Alice fell in love with the older man, and Alice's mother said that her daughter was... Plum crazy about him. The newlyweds took a quick two-day honeymoon trip up to Duluth, which was apparently a disaster. Uh-oh. The two did not get along on this little vacation. Frank had this to say about it. She was very nervous and kind of sick to her stomach. The two had not reached a state of compatibility when they returned to their St. Paul home at 210 Smith Avenue. That is... Is that just down here? Yeah. Damn. We're like right next door, basically. Hell it's yeah. either on our side of the high bridge or there's three blocks where it could be on the other side. It's pretty fucking Damn, sick, huh? That is cool. uh, that's we should cool probably shit. go take a picture in front of it. I don't see why we wouldn't. It's literally like three blocks from here, probably. So. <laughs> it's more than that. It, uh, isn't the bridge closed? The bridge like is the, closed, but if it's on our side of the river, it will be on... Well, it says a St. Paul home, the so second it has to be block. over there. Well, I mean, the border's pretty fucking close, isn't it? Yeah, the border is Annapolis. That's four blocks away. Uh, oh, I thought yeah. it started after that giant bridge. No, no never mind. Yeah, it's close as shit then. In early October, only two months after the marriage, Alice's mother visited her and found her crying. Frank, who was there, was being rude and a bit of a savage. What an asshole. When his mother-in-law tried to speak to him outside the house, he refused to go in, and he snarled, God damn you! Get in there or I won't say what will happen to you. No, Frank. Jesus. Come on, Frank. Aggressive. Yeah, he's a prick. Probably unnecessary aggressiveness. Yes, okay. <laughs> On October 14, 1914, Alice could stand the situation no longer, and re she returned to her parents' house at 798 Selby Ave. Which is now probably a very expensive house. Hmm. Hipster, gentrified town over there. Yep. Mm -hmm. Her parents, however, decided because it was 1914 that she, she would be better off if she rejoined her husband in their marital home. Thanks, Ma. <laughs> On October 19th, she returned to Frank's home, but he had bolted. <gasps> He left the house and flatly refused to return. When Frank ran, he didn't go far since he also owned the dwelling next door at 202 Smith. <laughs> he moved all his shit to 202 and left Alice in possession of 210. And for a while, they lived like this, side by side, married. 
but apart. I just right. envisioned her showing up and be like, where the hell's Frank? And she looks down and she's like, hey, Alice, fuck you. <laughs> <laughs> Gotta say, that that's like the ultimate power move. <laughs> you standing out there by like a horse-drawn yeah. U-Haul like, fuck, fuck you, you Alice. <laughs> I'm moving out of here, you fucking bitch. <laughs> I'm moving. Yeah. Whoa. <laughs> Calm down, Alice. And the neighbors come out like, you're going to have to pick sides here, all right? <laughs> <laughs> I'm team Frank Who's right getting now. the fucking cookies at Christmas? Christmas. <laughs> Alice or Frank? <laughs> <laughs> On June 25th, 1915, Alice tried to end the stalemate by beginning the process for judicial separation. Mm-hmm. She won, and the court ordered Frank to pay her $70 a month, which would be secured Whoa. and guaranteed by affixing liens on his property. Wow. It's a good chunk of change. Yeah, it's not bad. Yeah, back for the day, you know, inflation. Especially they weren't married very long I at was, all. I was for, half expecting like the, the ooh, divorce is evil, don't do it, because of the time period, you know, but. Well, ooh, she stay just, tuned. Oh, she just shit. filed for separation, Cody, uh, not divorce. Hashtag okay. stay tuned. Hashtag right. stay tuned. Hashtag. Right. This judgment aroused unending fury in Frank. <laughs> it became his every waking and dreaming obsession. A monument of indignity and the symbol of a vampiric woman, he said, encouraged by a whole nest oh, of bloodsuckers. There's a whole hive of bloodsuckers. Who does that sound like? <laughs> sounds like he's got a fear boner. <laughs> sounds like somebody that's on this very podcast. Oh, yeah. Yeah, Jordan. You were kicking. Maybe your ex wife's the direct ancestor of I this I shouldn't woman. say that many bad things about her anymore because now she gives me money. Oh, so you're the bloodsucker oh, then. Oh, you were turned and then somehow she became mortal and now oh, the situation yep. is reversed. Oh. Alimony f- f- Jordan over here. Jordan's ex-wife. No, it's Come literally just because I'm nice and let her stay on my car insurance. Oh, oh, that's pretty good then. Actually, so you, yeah. So she, is, so she just pays her fare. We're like splitting hairs sure. on who's sucking who here. Yeah. So yeah, yeah. I know. <laughs> when it was me, it was ridiculous. It was literally just a hundred bucks a week for no real reason. So because if, fuck you. If, yeah. If any of you young kids are wondering if you should get married, message Jordan on Facebook and he'll tell you if you should or not. All right, he'll give you a, at JJ Fox MN <laughs> on Twitter. Yeah, yeah. Find him on there. He'll give you some marital advice. He'll help you. Alice herself does not seem to have even wanted the separation. During the entire time that her and Frank were apart, she wrote him letters regularly, offering to come back as soon as he'd take her. But Frank remained in isolation, stewing and remarking frequently and angrily that Alice was bleeding him. Mm. Oh, fuck off, Frank. You own two properties. (laughs) Friends of the family tried to reconcile the two, but Frank wasn't having a damn word of it. He said that Alice's friends and family had too much influence over her and directed that influence directly against him. Oh, shit. Feeling that everything had fallen apart in her life, Alice abandoned the house on Smith and moved back with her parents full time. I hope her parents' house is like 206 Smith Avenue. No, <laughs> just we have one more house over. <laughs> no, it, it's got to be like 207, so it's across the street. Yeah, there you Although, go. as we already went over, it's on Selby. 786 Selby. Ah, but the same it. street as the St. Paul Curling Club. Is it? And also Capital Guitars. Yes. Oh. Which. Is a good place. We, me and you need to go there sometime we're, soon. We're going. We'll we're discuss gone. that post-podcast. Yes. Mm. Yes. Stay tuned for a new band here. All right. Adam and Jordan. Yeah. <laughs> the band. All right. Uh, okay. The years passed, 
Frank traveled to Montana in 1915. Alice went to the far west in 1916 and 17, mm-hmm. working as a stenographer in various places, including Montana. So she's just following Frank. Mm. She returned to St. Paul on Good Friday, April 6th, 1917, the day America Ooh. entered World War I. She sought out Frank immediately. She's probably scared he's going to go off to war. I believe that is why she sought him out, yeah. The man Alice saw in April of 1917 was far different from the bitter husband of 1915. They met Easter Sunday at a drugstore, as Frank was still a little too sheepish and embarrassed to show up at the McQuillan house. When Alice came home, her mother remembered that she was all broken up. Apparently she was crying and talking about how he tried to make up with her and over how much of a dick he was. (laughs) Four nights later, they met again at the same drugstore. A witness saw them and heard Frank say, my, that is a pretty overcoat you're wearing. Take it off, won't ya? Let me see whether you appear better without it on. Oh, oh yeah. Alice apparently looked puzzled, but obliged him. When Frank and Alice were leaving the drugstore, they met an acquaintance to whom Alice said eagerly, We are going back to keep house together. Frank had agreed, but upon one condition, saying, Now remember, Alice... If we start up again, I am not going to start in St. Paul. If we don't go any farther, we'll go to Minneapolis. Alice was anxious to help her husband while he sold his business in St. Paul. So she traveled to Minneapolis to apply for a job. traveled. Well, then again, back then it probably was a bit of a haul. Sure. 1917. That's a dangerous little expedition. You gotta load the horses up. You gotta get hay ready. That's right. You gotta get... That's right. Yeah. You gotta get your sword. You gotta get your musket. (laughs) You gotta get... Your cavalry. Now I'm gonna make that 20-minute excursion tonight. (laughs) (laughs) I'll see you guys sometime next week, all right? (laughs) Just gotta run to Uptown real quick. (laughs) If I'm not back in a fortnight... Assume I'm dead. (laughs) Send word for my mother. (laughs) On April 25th, they were still apart, but their plans to come together were nearly complete. On that same day, there was an article in the paper documenting the mysterious disappearance of George Connery, a Minneapolis police officer who had simply vanished from his post. He was a quiet, married man with a good departmental record. He seemed to have no reason for an abrupt departure. Frank Dunn spent the evening at the Knights of Columbus Hall, and Alice stayed at home, quietly went to bed, early. So does a good departmental record in 1914 just mean his police brutality was kept under five a year or something like that? Yeah, and back then, I'm sure police brutality was against whites only. So. Yeah, I was just going to say, you probably beat the shit out of minorities, and they were just like... Yeah. Hey, we're gonna give you a metal commendation. That's called You're good doing police work. work. Yes. <laughs> every time I see, oh, you na- got out the fire hose last night. <laughs> Perfect. Every, every time I see Knights of Columbus, because I think it's a Catholic organization. Yeah, it's like Just, a Lions Club yeah, and shit like that. Yeah. On Thursday, April twenty sixth, nineteen seventeen. St. Paul was forced to deal with the hard truth. That they're so much better than Minneapolis? <laughs> yes. And they thrived and lived with that forever. The end. Yeah. Thank you, everybody, for listening. I don't even know what Minneapolis is. Burglars had broken into the McQuillan home and <laughs> murdered Alice with three shots of a forty-four Magnum. Damn. Um, That's a big gun. Okay. <laughs> she and Frank would never be invited that's supposed to be reunited. <laughs> <laughs> They're never going to be invited to Jaren's flat earth. <laughs> she and Frank would never be reunited in this world. 
The Pioneer Press reported that the deed happened at about 1.45 a.m. The prowlers entered the rear window of the house, cut the telephone cord, then proceeded to the second floor bedroom, which Alice shared with her 19-year-old sister, Catherine. Can, can I just say, uh, for a hot second, when you said the prowlers entered the rear window <laughs> of the house, I was thinking of Plymouth prowlers. Just a bunch of cars. Like, sure. <laughs> Those disgusting little ones. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Just sitting outside. Why, being why would anybody think of those fucking cars? They're because hideous. my brain is fucking stupid, They're Cody. They're fucking hideous. That's fantastic. That's fantastic. So here we are. Alice, Catherine, sleeping in the same room. They're sisters. <clears throat> both girls were awake and talking when a light blinded both of them. Then Alice was promptly beaten over the head with Oof. a pistol and shot in the head once and twice in the chest. Damn. Her sister Catherine lay unharmed. Yeah, a little suspicious there. The robbery was a puzzling one. Alice was wearing two large diamond rings, which were still on her fingers. The only things missing from the house were Mr. McQuillan's pocketbook and checkbook, which contained a check for about $10.45. <laughs> okay. The family called the police immediately, of course, and the officers lost no time in calling Frank Dunn. He was awakened at 3.30 a.m. and taken to the Central Police Station. He was questioned and promptly released when police found it obvious that he wasn't anywhere near the McQuillan home that night, as he was at the Knights, Knights of, of Columbus. Columbus. Mm. Under the direction of John J. O'Connor, the chief of police in St. Paul at the time, Wait, there was an just Irish cop in the early 1900s? <laughs> in St. Paul, mind you. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, hey, he's doing a good job. Whereas Cody would probably say, oh, why did they let that oh, fucking oh. Irish bastard on the force? Because <laughs> as Nick, we learned earlier, he fucking Pre hates Irish. Oh, Billy God Club did. John O'Connor. That clover go. snorting son of a bitch. <laughs> Detectives worked quickly. John J. O'Connor, the chief of police in St. Paul at the time, and his detectives worked quickly, and for once in these stories, brilliantly. Mm. They took measurements and impressions, they dusted for all the fingerprints, and they questioned, questioned, questioned. Not bumbling. They also took Frank Dunn right back into custody, <sighs> despite his claims that him and Alice were about to reconcile. I think we've missed a critical thing here. Yeah? Terminator. John Connor. Oh. I took me a minute to... I was like, why does his name seem so familiar? John J. O'Connor. Uh -huh. Time travel. <laughs> Terminator. Yeah. I Sky think this Net. is him. I We're think this fucked. is him. <laughs> this is a prequel to Terminator, I think. <laughs> <laughs> On April 28th, two boys found Mr. McQuillan's checkbook and pocketbook, not far from the house. With those two items found, all of the quote-unquote loot from the burglary had been discovered. At this point, police were pretty damn sure already that burglary was not the main motive of the home invasion. On that same dreary day, Alice Dunn was buried in Calvary Cemetery. Frank remained in jail. He didn't even ask permission to the, go to the funeral. Wow, that's fucked. By Sunday, April 29th, three days after the murder, police uncovered several mission-critical facts, and a coast-to-coast -coast manhunt had begun. In St. Paul, detectives worked tirelessly and patiently, to unravel the details of an involved assassination plan. So we got a real Tim Limbesis situation on hey, our hands. How much you want to bet John Connor sobered up for one day just to do a little little more extensive police details? Well, Chief John <laughs> O'Connor himself. Why are you assuming he's drunk? Because he's a 
fucking disgusting <laughs> Irish. If you ask Cody, I yeah. personally. Yeah. I personally love the Irish people. I'm okay people. with white on white Especially races. the women. They have pale skin and red hair, and I love that. I call them beauties of the Emerald Isle. Yes. Mm. And Cody calls you, them Who's potato. your number one Irish woman? What's her name? Uh, from Game of Thrones. Well, she's not Irish. You can pretend. Igrid Ginger. Igrid. Oh, yeah. Rose. Not Rose. Rose Leslie. Yep. She's a beauty. God, she's hot. All right. Chief John O'Connor released a summary, which the Pioneer Press published. Frank Dunn had mysterious dealings with some Montana men in 1915 at the time of Alice's separation suit. In 1916, someone tried to arrange her murder and fingerprints on the McQuillan window corresponded to those of a notorious and well-known trigger man. It was the Irish. Mark Wahlberg. If you ask Cody. Mark Wahlberg. Yeah, you want me to be a trigger man? <laughs> no, that's uh, Jer- No, that's Ben Affleck from The Town. Ah, uh, yeah, okay. I can't be out here being a trigger man. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Ben, let's see what you did. Two men were invited to St. Paul by the police, and they promptly responded. Albert F. Brown and Sir v- Sylvester. Albert F. Brown and Sylvester C. Fertig of those, Montana. Those are some fucking Mon- Montana right, names. Sly Fertig. Awesome. <laughs> those are awesome names. What do you think in Sylvester? <clears throat> C- Sylvester? <laughs> Fertig? Or if you're me, it's a Albert Brown and C. Fertig. They arrived on May 1st. They described meetings with Frank Dunn in Billings, Montana, and St. Paul during the summer of 1915. They were recounting their stories right in front of Frank, now sullen, silent, and far different from the man who could produce waterfalls from his eyes as he walked with his estranged wife in front of the drugstore. Both Montana men said they met with Dunn on July 14, 1915, a little over a week from when Alice began her separation suit. Brown told police the interaction went as follows. I married one of the McQuillan girls, and then my trouble started. Say, do you know anyone interested in making $10,000? I want to get rid of my wife. I don't care how it's done, as long as they get rid of her. At this point, Brown also suggested the two should go to Reno for a simple divorce. But old Frank was, of course, an old Catholic warrior, and his faith would not let him file for divorce. He stands firm behind that sermonator. That's God is my crusader. The sermonator. <laughs> the sermonator. Listen to last week's Between the Bumbles, gentlemen. Jordan, good job. When Brown pointed out that murder is usually accompanied with unwanted attention from law enforcement, Dunn replied, We can't get in any trouble at all, because I've got legal advice from my attorney. He gave me all the legal advice I wanted. <laughs> I feel like your attorney I tr- can I flip trust, on you. I trust him already. Oh, he's fucking brilliant. <laughs> One of the trigger men, Ferdig, had this to say. Dunn told me that he wanted to get rid of her for the reason that she was bleeding him and that he couldn't get married anymore on account of his faith. He said he attempted to do it himself and crawled into the basement and broke the gas line to try to smother her. But she woke up. He asked if I wanted to do it. And I said, 
I think about it for ten grand. <laughs> Ferdig, you consummate dumb professional with a stupid I, I was voice. going for you a Dick, Tra- Dick Tracy accent. <laughs> Dick Tracy villain. It slipped well, into you South Africa. You completely know. missed the mark on that, buddy. It's international Dick Tracy villain. Okay. I would find the murderer. <laughs> I will chase the murderer from the village. I will cut the gas line. If that doesn't work, I will shoot her. Do you know the way? Do you know the way? On July 23rd, 1915, the two Montana men went to St. Paul, where Frank gave Ferdig the first thousand, pointed Alice out to him, and took him to see the McQuillan home. The best place would be to get her coming down the stairs, or just knock her over the head and finish it when she's rounding the corner. Or a matter of fact, it would be even better if you got her when she walks down to the lake. And if her old man's with her, take care of him too. I've got it in for him just as bad as I've got it in for her. Frank, that's not Frank. very what a nice. fucking jackass. Frank wants old man nice. McQuillan to die too. <laughs> Ferdig, of course, asked when he could expect the other 9,000. And Frank said he would pay it after the deed was done as he didn't feel comfortable handing over that kind of money on a promise. Mm. He did say that Ferdig could take whatever jewelry she had on her and whatever they could grab from the house. In fact, he said that would be a better play as it would make it look like a bur- as it would make it look like a bungled robbery instead of a straight up assassination. The only thing Dunn asked was to be notified of the night it would take place so he could be down at the lodge or some other public place. Smart. Mm-hmm. He's been thinking about this for a while. He hates Alice. Yeah. She doesn't even seem that bad. He wants fucking 210 Smith Avenue back. <laughs> he does want 210, so he can run the block again. Yep. He feels terrible having a block divided. Run the block, run the jewels. It, He's crazy. This boy, this boy is looking a lot like, you know who? Voldemort. Close. Cotton. Dumbledore. Cotton, Eugene. Yeah, yeah. Hey, this whole fucking podcast yeah. started on a Minnesota. I know. I know it did. Apparently, we like to hire assassins to kill our wives for yes. us. So. Fucking passive aggressive yeah. pricks. I can't do it. I got faith in God. You got to do it. He, he had to outsource to Montana just to get some assassins because nobody in Minnesota wanted to do it. They kept calling other assassins to kill him for Boys it. Boys ate hard enough. They ca- it was sublet all the way down. Yeah. Finally, the actual assassin gets like $6 from everybody else getting their fees out of it. Four days later, the Montana men Brown and Fertig revealed their true plans after all. They threaten to report Frank Dunn and all of the conversations they've had to the police. Unless Frank paid them $5,000 right now. The entire scheme was a setup, so Frank did the only thing reasonable, paid up, and they went away. Hmm. Man, for a guy with the last name Fertig, he's pretty smart. Genius. For an idiot. He's a Dick Tracy bad guy. Idiot savant. (laughs) But it wasn't their last encounter. When blackmailers see an easy mark, it's difficult to not double dip. And they did. Three, men, three months later, in October 1915. This time, they were content with only $600 of Frank's money. After paying them, Dunn still couldn't fucking help himself, so he said, I'll tell you what, Ferdig. Well, you're a man that don't do that type of job, but you might know somebody. I still want the job done. I'll pay $10,000. And if you can find someone to do it for five, you can keep the other five. Smartly, Ferdig and Brown wanted no further involvement with this idiot that they had ripped off twice. (laughs) (laughs) What the hell? 
They came out 5,600 ahead, and they were happy enough to leave him alone to his weird little life. <laughs> Ferdig and Brown returned to Montana and did not see Dunn again until 1917 when they were called on by police. This forced SPPD to paint Frank as a principal suspect, even though up until now he had been able to explain his whereabouts during the entire night of April 25th and 26th. As of now, investigators had to either find the unknown link or free Frank Dunn. By May 4th, 1917, the police knew who had murdered Alice Dunn, and they also knew that the same man killed police officer Connery in Minneapolis. Oh, oh my God. Fingerprints ID'd the murderer as one Joseph P. Redenbow, a teenage Kansas City gunman. <laughs> okay. Another, ca- another Kansas City area underworld member, Frank McCool, was also implicated. <laughs> is this a fucking cartoon? What the fuck is going on? Frank McCool? That's fucking awesome. I wish that was my last So did yes. the, the Kansas City gunman argue that vinegar-based barbecue sauce is better than everywhere else? Yes. Is that what he was mad First about? First off, Kansas City doesn't have vinegar-based. Yes, that, it is. No, Kansas City is the ketchup-based. Is it? Yeah. What's it's the vinegar-based one? Tennessee. Is that the Carolina? Tennessee. Uh, okay. Carolina is mustard-based. So he's mad they don't put ketchup in their barbecue yeah. sauce and he, he went off. The Kansas City gunman. <laughs> The disappearance of Officer Connery on April 25th was a terrible coincidence that luckily brought suspicion to Redenbaugh and McCool. On that day, the pair were driving from St. Paul to Minneapolis when they were pulled over by SPPD and arrested for speeding. Mm. Oh shit, so speeding laws have gotten a lot more lenient. (laughs) Yes. They quickly paid the fine, which wiped out their cash reserves and continued on their way. When they crossed the border to Minneapolis, they were quickly pulled over for speeding again. How are they getting pulled over on a fucking horse? (laughs) (laughs) Pull over. You're galloping too fast, Your horse is running with an erection. Pull over. (laughs) Connery made the arrest and got in the suspect's car to direct them to the police station. Apparently that was a thing back in those days. Hmm. Since these boys had no money to pay the fine, McCool drew a pistol on Connery, oh. held him still, while Redenbow drove through the woods, north of Minneapolis. Connery was shot there. Accidentally, if you ask McCool and Redenbow. Yeah, okay. But the condition of the corpse recovered later says otherwise. How do you accidentally do drag a man <laughs> to the woods and shoot him? Come on. An officer that was trying to take you to the police station <clears throat> yeah. to give you a ticket for All speeding. Right. Who's an accident, man? Come on. <laughs> yeah, he was Fuck just giving us cool. fucked up directions. I guess he wanted to go to make out point and see what happens with the three of us. <laughs> it wasn't until May 6th, 11 days after he was killed, that Minneapolis police received an anonymous call to check the woods a mile and a half north of Fridley. Oh. oh. Poor Mary Fridley still haunting the place. <laughs> Tire track comparisons matched a vehicle that had been abandoned in St. Paul that was transporting Connery to his death site. Since both Alice and Connery were killed with a 44 Magnum and were killed around the same time, it left no doubt in investigators' minds that the two killings were connected. Mm. A lot of the time, we bag on the police here because we can. But police work is incredibly hard. Trying to piece together who killed someone while everyone involved is at a 10 on their emotional ranges is not an easy thing to do. Police success comes from grinding hard work, plain luck, and tips. And in this case, all three lined up for the investigators. Two of them were phone calls. One, of course, being the location of Officer Connery's body. 
And the other one came in from a confidential informant known only as Madam D. She told Police HQ that McCool and Redenbow had both been in St. Paul on the night of April 25th, 26th. She's a snitch. Oh. Who had hired Redenbow to kill Alice Dunn remained the largest question. It was extremely unlikely that Alice would have run into either of these Kansas-slash-Nebraska region gangsters on her own. It really didn't seem that she would have ran in the circles that could have pissed these two men off. It had to be a paid job. Gradually, the investigation uncovered an answer. Frank Dunn had invited Redenbaugh to St. Paul a week before the murder and had met him at a little place known as Cricket's Buffet. Okay. An old saloon. All right. What do they serve at Cricket's Buffet, Jordan? I'm going to guess alcohol because they said it's a saloon. Why is it named Cricket's? I don't know. <laughs> Probably because the owner had Ricketts. I, I <laughs> kind of want to find out if that building <clears throat> is still standing and if it's still a bar. I hope Cricket's. Oh, for crickets. the sake of the podcast, I'll go there and have <laughs> some drinks. You have to. And you have to drink double because you have to drink for me. Yes. You're drinking for two well, now. I'll basically drink triple, because yeah. Cody doesn't really no. drink a whole lot. No. Yeah, Cody's a pussy. A straight edge. Fucking bitch. Cody doesn't even have chem- chemical dependency issues. Mm-hmm. He's just a bitch. Mm-hmm. Another bit of information hinted that Michael Moore, bartender at Crickets and budding documentary <laughs> filmmaker at the time, may have had something to do with setting the meeting. This is amazing. He's well over 100 years old at this point. He was only getting his start now, though, in, in the silent film documentaries. He, he kind of looks like he could be that old, to be honest. He's looking Fahrenheit, April 25th. <laughs> Fahrenheit, Titanic. <laughs> Fahrenheit, 1914. All right, here we go. On May 8th, 1917, Frank McCool was found in North Platte, Nebraska. He was questioned about the murder of Officer Connery. Although he admitted that he was in St. Paul on those dates, he protested strongly that he had nothing to do with it. He was promptly indicted for murder. The grand jury might have believed that McCool... Okay. <laughs> the, grand, <clears throat> the grand jury might have believed that McCool indeed had nothing to do with it, except for the fact that he had Connery's service pistol in his waistband at the time of arrest. <laughs> That's not very cool, that, McCool. That might get you. <laughs> probably <laughs> should Probably have not that. the best play. No, no. <laughs> they knew it was his because it smelled like oh. Jameson. <laughs> Joseph Redenbaugh and his wife Pearl were found all the way in San Francisco on May 11th, 15 days after the murders. How the hell did he get there so fast? I don't know. It takes three days to get from St. Paul to Minneapolis. What the hell? <laughs> <laughs> Redenbaugh admitted to robbing a bank in Nebraska and said he was in Minnesota on April 25th and 26th, but he strenuously denied having anything to do with either the murder of Connery or Alice. I don't think he should have admitted to robbing a bank either. But Casually? Okay. Yeah. Listen, no, I, I was robbing a bank I over there. Did I did this lesser crime, not the ultimate crime. <laughs> Bring me up on this one, man. Upon reaching the Twin Cities, the authorities informed Redenbow that they were going to indict his wife, Pearl, as a principal murderer in the two cases, along with McCool and himself. <laughs> Threatening his 18-year-old bride with hard prison time was enough to break him. In order to save his wife... Standing trial, he admitted to the slangs of Connery and Alice Dunn, and also admitted who had hired him. Who Frank was it? Well, that's kind of oh. nice of him. I am so very shocked. Can you believe that Frank Dunn is look behind it? Look at my it? face and look at how surprised I am. You don't look surprised at I don't. all. That's because you never trust a man named Frank Dunn. Come on. Certainly not, but Frank McCool. He will McCool be done. Yeah, yeah, I trust him. Redenbaugh was a handsome young man. He had a keen eye for fashion, it seems, 
and stood five foot six with nicely coiffed hair. <laughs> he had a fair complexion and at 19 looked more ready to take his date to prom than commit murders and robberies. That's how they get you. Mm -hmm. He committed his first crime at nine. They didn't say what it was. And had spent over half of his young life in and out of reform schools and prisons. His nickname at the time was the toughest kid in America. Wow. Fucking That's a hell of a title. over here. Redenbaugh admitted to visiting St. Paul in October of 1916 and said that Michael Moore, the bartender, had offered him $2,000 to kill Alice Dunn. I didn't feel right about it at the time, so I went down to University Place, Kansas, and did the bank job. <laughs> With the $1,981 he made off the robbery in his pocket, he felet rich enough to marry. So he did just that with Sweet Young Pearl in Kansas City. His money did not last long, however, and it forced him to reopen negotiations with St. Paul. Pearl Redenbow took the stand and told the world that she had married Joe to reform him. Although in the next sentence she said the only reason she married him was because there was no way he could be a criminal. To me it sounds like an 18-year-old scared, scared girl who's trying to save her new husband that she's probably also a little frightened. Yeah, I'm sure he's a little violent. <laughs> Joe, however, did not like the way that Pearl's testimony would hurt his underworld reputation, so he stood and said, Sure, it's all true, kid. I did it for you. I was broken up against him. I had to think of my little girly. Hmm. The Connery job was an accident. Then we needed money to make a getaway. Although I've got to pay the penalty, I sure am sorry for the little wife. But you are as game as I am, ain't you, kid? He asked, hugging her. Sure I am, Joe. I'll be waiting right here for you when you get out. I won't even be gray-haired by then either. Aw, Pearl. She's yeah. so superficial. She's so super... She just wants her husband to, to know have that... a nice tuft of mm. brown hair to pull when Pearl, he's slapping those cheeks. Pearl, the life expectancy in this time was like 40 years old, so yeah. I, I don't know if you're going to make it. You're going to be broken by then, my darling. <laughs> Red and Bo's confessions led to the immediate arrest of Mike Moore and upon further questioning, unearthed another gunman named John Doyle. <laughs> oh my god, the guitar's from the Misfits? Is it? Is it? John no. Doyle? Oh. I was just going off Doyle. Who's gotcha. Jack Doyle? Jack I Doyle. I feel like I've heard the name Jack Doyle. Before. Jack LaLanne's Juicers. I don't know what the hell that is. He okay. pulled a boat I don't across I don't... a body of water. Jack LaLanne swam the channel in a boat? I, I don't know, there's something about... He like had a rope tied to a boat in his teeth and he like swam some shit that's fucking awesome okay. all i know is he made baller juicers that had infomercials yes. back in the day oh, and i loved watching those okay. infomercials all right. i wanted the juice so goddamn <laughs> bad i was like why does this like 90 year old man have such a weird build <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> juice <laughs> okay johnny doyle he was caught he's in he's in connection the entire collection of scumbags was now complete and ready for trial. Dunn, Redenbaugh, McCool, Moore, and Doyle. On the same day that Redenbaugh opened his mouth and blabbed the truth about the murder of Officer Connery, he was immediately sentenced to 30 years imprisonment without parole and was transported to the state prison to await the Alice Dunn trial. It's kind of a light, light sentence, isn't it? Well, that's just for the policeman. Yeah, you'd figure, mm. like, if you... Killing Poke a, a cop on the shoulder, you're getting the death penalty. <laughs> yeah. 1917, though. Yeah. That's, That's true. abolished, my boys. As mm. Cody would say, the cop was also Irish, so no one really gave a shit. 
His name was also Connor. Way to bring that My up, guess Cody. would be he was taking a shot out of the barrel. Mm. He forgot it was loaded. Mm. Blew his own head off. The old Irish Russian. <laughs> yeah. The old Irish Russian roulette shot. The old, car bomb. <laughs> old Irish surprise. Old... <laughs> Guys, we're doing it again. We're making fun of people we shouldn't be. I'm sorry, oh, Mr. Connor. Right. Sorry, <laughs> Mr. Right. Connor. And this... this is like 101 years old. Oh. And like two feet down the fucking road. That's right. We're awful. It's gonna be no, the Cody's first. This awful. wouldn't be the first. Oh yeah, Cody's bad. The, the sad thing is, there's literally like a shooting a few blocks down the road. Uh, when did the other cop get shot over there? Remember that? Oh yeah, yeah. Like that was like ago. four years ago. Yeah. Yeah. Mendota Heights cop, right? Yeah. 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 McCool uh, pleaded not guilty and went to trial and was convicted of third degree murder and sentenced to thirty years. So that didn't work out for him. Neither were ever actually brought to trial for the Alice Dunn murder. At least hmm. brought by prosecution. We will talk about it later. All right. Mike Moore and Frank Dunn were up next to stay in trial for the murder of Alice Dunn. They chose to be tried separately. And on June 6, 1917, the trial opened before Judge Hugo O. Hanfit. <laughs> a judge who is known for being a hard ass and, and was considered a terror to the Ramsey County Bar Association. Oh. Red and Bow was brought in from prison to testify... And four days later, on June 10th, the jury came back and found Moore guilty of murder in the first degree. He was sentenced to life. Being dragged off to prison, he turned to yell at Judge Hanfit, To hell with you, you dirty rat! The Moore trial was the perfect opening act for the Frank Dunn trial. The prosecution's aim was to convict Frank Dunn of having hired professional assassins to murder his unwanted wife. They still had to connect Redenbaugh to Dunn, and as far as anyone knew... Dunn Renenbaugh has never actually met. Mm-hmm. This could be a problem for the courts, and it makes Dunn's earlier claim that he had sought legal advice hold a little more water. You see, Dunn and Redenbaugh only dealt through intermediaries. Mm. Under the hearsay rule, Redenbaugh could not testify that an intermediary told him to kill Alice on Frank Dunn's orders. Uh-oh. In addition, under the rule of relevancy... All testimony must relate to the crime for which the defendant is being tried, and not some other one. Oof. It's all got to be relevant. Yeah. It can't be hearsay. First-hand accounts, Redenbaugh had to either accept money from or talk to Frank Dunn. He's going to make sure his hand fits. <laughs> Glove don't fit. You must It does dick. for judge hand fit. Oh, oh come shit. on, guys. Good job, Cody. You're off the fucking You did one today. thing right in this episode. <laughs> I'm behind the eight ball here. I've brought down an entire country this episode, okay? Of Irish settlers, so. You're certainly in a lot of trouble with yeah. an entire country. Yeah, I don't know I if know. you brought them down, though. Whitey Bulger's coming to my door. <laughs> Whitey Bulger just died. Did he? Well, yeah, someone murdered him in prison. Yeah. You're right. I did read about that. Yeah. The only lawful way to introduce the evidence needed to convict Dunn was to try to prove criminal conspiracy. If that can be proven, all acts and conversations with intermediaries would be admissible. The defense knew the prosecution was angling for this and were preparing to come to blows over it at some point in the trial. Frank Dunn's trial for murder in the first degree opened on Thursday, June 14th, 1917 and continued through June 29th. The fucking Beatles might as well have come to town with all the sensationalism flying around. I don't think they were born yet. No, probably not. (laughs) It all began with the deputy coroner's testimony describing poor Alice's death wounds. He was followed by her parents and brother, all of whom described their experiences on that horrible night. All three heard people moving 
and all three tried to cross the hall. Each was stopped by an assailant and told, Oof. don't move or you'll get your brain scattered. That's a very old-timey threat. It is, isn't it? Hey, don't move or you'll get your brain scattered. No, that a, if you make a move, I'll blow your fucking head yeah, off. Yeah, there's no romance in it anymore. See, now they've just turned that into like an anti-drug ad. Remember that one? Yeah. Hey, this is your brain. Yeah, and you it's get a nice brain scrambled. Yeah. But I wanted that fried egg way more than I wanted the fucking <laughs> yeah. egg in the shell. <laughs> Alice's brother, James McQuillan, heard one of the assailants telling Catherine from the murder room, be calm now, sweetheart. I'm just going to test out this here gun. Oh. Three shots were then fired, and Mrs. McQuillan ran into the room screaming, Alice, Alice! Only to hear Catherine say, Mama, Alice is killed! She saw what I can only imagine is a mother's worst nightmare. Oof. Both her daughters covered in blood, and one of them laying dead. That's fucking brutal. <clears throat> this here is from Catherine's perspective when she was on the when she was on the stand, Jordan. I asked who had barged in our room. A gruff voice said, none of your business. The man who said it shined a light in our faces. He was wearing a white mask and a and had a hat pulled low over his face. He was also short. He shoved me aside and smashed Alice in the face. Immediately, Oof. he fired three shots into her. I hid my face and waited for the same to happen. The next thing I heard was Mama screaming, and when I looked over... There was a giant hole in her head. Jesus Christ. Oh, okay. The time was now for the prosecution to make their move. Judge Hanfit knew this was the linchpin of the case. Proving criminal conspiracy was surprisingly easy for the prosecution. And now that Hanfit was on the side of the prosecution, all intermediaries were open season for questioning. <laughs> Joseph Redenbaugh took the stand on his 20th birthday to testify against Frank Dunn. He said he had traveled to St. Paul in October and stayed until November 6th. Redenbaugh made his way to Cricket's Buffet, <laughs> where a man named Michael Moore had brought up the idea of killing a Minnesota girl working in Montana. Redenbaugh said he had to mill it over for a little bit, so he went to Omaha and University Place, Nebraska, so he could really clear his mind and rob a couple banks. Interesting hobby there, fella. Mm -hmm. Michael Moore and Redenbaugh kept in touch by mail, and on February 27th, Redenbaugh grabbed his boys McCool and Doyle and made haste for St. Paul. When they arrived, Moore explained that his client wanted Alice dead and would pay 3000 of which Moore would keep 1000 So, this is what actually happened. Dunn told Moore $10,000 to get my wife killed. <laughs> Moore told him it was 3000 but he would keep 1000 We were literally making fun of them for this, <laughs> and it actually happened. My God. <laughs> fucking Moore walks away with $8,000 while the murderers get $2,000. The fucking, bar, the fucking bartender at Cricket Saloon <laughs> walks away with the fucking money. Jesus Christ. So can... far, they had reached no agreement as Redbaugh thought the money didn't add up. Murder usually carries a bit of a higher price tag, especially when dealing with professionals. <laughs> now, do you two remember outside the drugstore when Frank said all the creepy shit about yes, having Alice yes, take off yes. her coat? That was for the murderer's benefit. They were parked down the street and wanted to be able to identify her in a different place and setting. <laughs> See, I thought he was like trying to get sexy maybe a little bit, but... Like, boy, what you, a let's, fucking asshole. Let's start with, hello, Alice. Sorry yeah. I screamed at you and your mother that one time yeah. and hit you. 
No, just go ahead and get naked in Walgreens for me, would you? Damn, bitch, take off that coat. Let me see them tits. Where your boyfriend at? Oh, wait. Oh, wait, that's me. (laughs) Redenbaugh goes on to say the car they used while on their murder spree through the Twin Cities was stolen in Stoddard, Wisconsin. Go figure. That's where I was for Oktoberfest. That's where my friend lives. Your Stoddard, Wisconsin. John. I bet, You're does your friend place. have any of these last names? Is he McCool? John McCool? <laughs> I don't think Jordan associates He's a pretty cool with anybody guy. named McCool. <laughs> Wasn't McCool like a really shitty Brad Pitt movie? Or is that Cool World? Maybe I'm thinking of Cool World. Honestly, none of those things mean anything to me. <laughs> I, were, I swear I've heard McCool from somewhere before. Shut up, Cody. <laughs> <laughs> Go back to Stoddard, Wisconsin, you asshole. <laughs> Stoddard. Go get fisted by Judge Hanfit. I hope Mr. Hanfit jams his fucking hand up your ass. (laughs) Just use me like a puppet. (laughs) I bet your hand will fit in my ass, Judge. (laughs) So the car was stolen in Stoddard, Wisconsin. That's not really important. It's just impressive how okay with being criminals (laughs) these guys are. (laughs) Fucking idiots. Conspiracy was then proven beyond a reasonable doubt when Redenbaugh admitted that he had witnessed personally a transaction of money at crickets between Moore and Frank Dunn. Mm. From there, dominoes continued to fall until I, as I was reading, I had to say, please stop. They're already goddamn super guilty. (laughs) (laughs) On June 29th, the jury came back with life without possibility of parole for Frank Dunn to be carried out doing hard labor. Doyle, the mysterious third accomplice, and Michael Moore... Accomplished director and bartender were both sentenced to 30 years for first-degree murder as well. Fifteen years later, the guilt Redenbaugh harbored for killing Alice Dunn got the better of him. He begged to be charged for the murder of her, and the court obliged, giving him seven to 30 years in prison for shooting Alice to be served after his 30-year cop-killer sentence. McCool died in prison. All actors in this play were brought to justice. I consider this a success. Frank Dunn died in prison in 1958, and Redenbaugh was released in 1968. Wow. He was gray, old, and unkempt. A wasted, handsome, promising life. Mm-hmm. Pearl was not waiting for him when he got out, and he never heard from her again. <laughs> I think that was to be expected. Yeah. Wow, that's crazy. I figured he would have died in prison, too. <sighs> that cocksucker, he really made it. Yeah. 1917, he got convicted. Gentlemen, did you enjoy my story of the professional murderers? I did, especially because it's so close to, like, where Where we we record. (laughs) It is actually right down the street. Mm -hmm. Yep. It's fucking cool. All these Minnesota murders, like, have a weirdly similar, like, like, Cotton was kind of like that. And then your one last week, he hired or had somebody else help him kill his wife. They don't really just kill... (laughs) kill them themselves it's so calculated it's so like there's no passion here there's no crime of passion this is like a business the gun the coward's murder weapon yeah Yeah, so no it's a good story i I like passion i like passion in my killings and there's no passion here (laughs) i'm still confused like she didn't seem that bad why he wanted her dead so it just i guess if you have some you know a sick murder like that you're just gonna kill him so yeah it just i she doesn't seem that bad. I don't know why he's so mad. Yeah, we didn't really get to hang out with her that long while she was no. alive. But, I mean, even from what you were saying, like, yeah. it just... She had, a, like, a good family structure. I think that's the thing, though. 
what really pissed him off was oh, her family like oh, being so close right, and around. Right. Well, Frank, maybe you shouldn't uh, jump into marriage then. Yeah, especially with like a twenty-four-year-old. Yeah. You're forty, man. Yeah, exactly. Poor girl. Yeah, it's a sad story. Sad um, story. Yeah, it's a cool story though, especially since, like he said, so close to us and everything. And the in, like the national scope of it, mm-hmm. where they fi- they were finding these guys in Montana and <laughs> yeah. San Francisco. I didn't and, know they had that kind of like technology or reach back then. It's fucked up. How do you even? As far as I'm concerned, they're still drawn on cave walls in 1917. <laughs> Basically. How do you even approach them and be like, hey, I need you to kill my wife for me? Like, how do you even approach somebody about that? Unless you just, like, know a scummy guy that's yeah. into that already. I don't know. I don't I know. Yes, I, I don't know. Bunch yeah. of idiots. but A lot of fun. So I'm that's going to do it for my story, buddy. Uh, there's a few things that I need to tell the audience about, though. Okay. Number one, of course, please email us at bumblebuttpodcast at gmail.com. What's that, Adam? Bumblebuttpodcast at gmail.com. Follow us on Twitter at bumblebuttpod. And most importantly, the Instagram, bumblebuttpodcast. Facebook is also important, but Cody runs that Instagram with an iron fist, and it's pretty <laughs> fucking good. Mm-hmm. If you like cool stuff, if you want Cody to talk to you and uh, misspell stuff and put <laughs> apostrophes where they don't be belong. a lot of that, so get used to it. <laughs> He'll talk to you forever. He'll misspell you to the end of time. Mm-hmm. Uh, I so never claim to be a smart man, all right? That is Bumblebutt Podcast on both of those, right? Mm-hmm. Facebook right. and Instagram. Bumblebutt right. Podcast. Right. Look us up. Follow us. Also, now it's time for the most important part of the show, at least if you ask Cody. And that is the iTunes review section. We've had a big week, actually. I saw that. Um, we've had two uh, just regular five-star reviews, and then we have three people who've written us reviews. Oh, shit. Yes. No thanks to Jordan, but anyway. And no thanks to your Irish hating ass, (laughs) but thanks to me, I'll take the credit for this one. Thank you. These all say your name on every one of them, so. (laughs) So, number one, Great Stuff by Black Macabre. You guys are great, and you always like a lot of my stuff on Instagram on top of it. Love that. Thanks for doing this. It's getting better and better. And it was awesome to start with. Shit, man. That's a nice review. Who Thank you, from? sir. Black Macabre. Black Macabre. I've uh, I've seen his stuff on Instagram, man. He's, like, su- he's our type of person. I'm awesome. surprised Cody didn't say it. Black Macabre. Black Macabre. I'm not that stupid. <laughs> 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 then we have Podful of Greatness by Devo Lee. Devilly. Devilly. This trio has made me obnoxiously laugh more times than I can count. (laughs) No easy feat. There's always something strangely comforting about some of the most disturbing stories being told in a nice Minnesotan accent. (laughs) Keep up the great work, guys. And I think there's two fireworks. I think there's two fireworks. I think that's what they are. Hey, we'll keep on keeping on. That makes my heart feel good. And last but not least, Everyone Should Listen by Pam98. Pam, thank you, darling. This is a great podcast. (laughs) She probably hates that and is going to remove this immediately. (laughs) This is a great podcast. Everyone should give it a listen. Funny, intriguing, and a good time. Unlike our social company. Yeah. Here we go. (laughs) 
Wait a second. Wait. I thought you said they mentioned my name all the time. No, I was lying. That's so rude. Dude, I think he Jordan lies and he hates the so Irish. Rude. Jordan is the fan favorite. I know. I'm sorry to say. His... It's fucked up. I it's don't know. get it. I know. I don't get it at they all. They want his nipples. They like his voice. We I... try and foster these relationships oh, yeah. like, with the Cody, the do you legit need a picture of my nipple? Yeah. I, oh, okay. I think we can make some awesome bubble butt art out of it. So. All right. Yeah. We're going to make nipple ornaments that you can hang from your doorway <laughs> and you kiss your sweetheart under Jordan's nipple mistletoe. Yes. <laughs> we'll call it genal toe. And then we'll we'll put one flake of Jordan's nipple hair on there. So Gorgeous. I mean, there's plenty of it to go around. <laughs> Listen, if anybody wants nipple hair, ask Jordan. All right, gentlemen. I think that's going to do it. Ladies, gentlemen, everybody listening at home, thank you very much for continuing another episode. And until then, have a good weekend, unless it's Tuesday. I want to give all of you a firm handshake. <laughs> that's right. It's nice to you.